Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Cloudy skies. Welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Now, coming up in just a moment, Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker shares why he's leaving after 12 years. It came to the um, realization this summer that as much as I would like to continue doing what I'm doing, the responsible thing for the institution for me to do is to do what I did, which is inform the Board of Regents that you know I will be stepping down. That conversation is just moments away. But first, Georgia has surpassed 300,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. That's according to the State Department of Public Health. To be exact, there are 309,003 COVID-19 cases right here in the state. And there are 27,054 hospitalizations. Of those, 4,945 are ICU admissions. 6,474 Georgians have reportedly died due to the coronavirus. And in the past 24 hours, another 55 people. Now, current trends show COVID-19 cases are spiking among people aged 18 to 22. Chattahoochee County, which contains much of Fort Benning, remains the top county nationwide for new cases per capita. This has been happening in the past 14 days. And on to some related news. Georgia's latest unemployment numbers are now in. The state unemployment rate for August was 5.6 percent. That's according to the State Department of Labor. That's below the national rate of 8.4. Now consider back in April when the state unemployment rate was 12.6 percent and much of Georgia was pretty much shut down. First time unemployment claims have also been dropping for several weeks now. And officials say the retail and hospitality industry are still the hardest hit, but jobs are available in logistics and computer programming. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Georgia State President Mark Becker will leave his position at the end of this academic school year. That'll officially be June of next year. He's been Georgia State's president for the past 12 years. The university has transformed in many ways under Becker's tenure, which began in 2009. For example, enrollment has increased, uh, graduation rates, and even total number of graduates. And Georgia State University is a leading research institution. Also, in 2010, the Georgia State football era began. Look around the campus, new buildings, even a new stadium. And now another era for Georgia State University will begin next year. But until then, joining me now to reflect on his time is Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker. As always, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for having me. When we spoke earlier this year, as our conversation ended, I asked you this. And how long do you want to be Georgia State University's president? 
Well, I, that's not a question I actually sitting around thinking about. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when I came here January 1, 2009, people said, well, he'll be gone in three years. And after three years, they said he'll be gone in five years. You know, so now they say he's been here 11 years. He'll be gone any day now. That's, uh, you know, I love what I do. I love this university. I love the people associated with this university, faculty, staff, students, alumni, our partners. And so, um, you know, as long as this work is still fun and rewarding, I think you'll see me still here. Well, President Becker is serving as Georgia State University's president. Is it no longer fun and rewarding? No, it's still fun and rewarding. It's certainly um, this year of um, a pandemic is challenging. Uh, But I would say that, you know, everything I said in that time was um, true and accurate and and remains that way. I think what's um, different is during this period is, you know, is reflect back on um, the period of where we are and where we're going. It's... um, it's really become abundantly clear to me that, um, you know, as I think you so graciously said in the beginning, we've done a lot of things um, in the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, periodically a university needs to take a deeper look inside itself and look to its future. And it's time for our next strategic plan. The strategic plan that we adopted in 2011 um, is coming to a completion and it's time for a new strategic plan. Um, likewise, you know, we were um, able um, on my watch to conduct the largest capital campaign ever in the history of the university, only the second one ever done. You know, it's time to start thinking about that as well. And you know, both of those undertakings are literally a decade's worth of work um, mm-hmm. you know, beginning to end. And it came to the um, realization this summer that um, as, as much as I would like to continue doing what I'm doing, the responsible thing uh, for the institution for me to do is to um, do what I did, which is inform the Board of Regents that, you know, I will be stepping down and it's time to look for the next president because the person who does the next strategic plan and plans the next capital campaign also needs to be the person that takes it through to fruition. You know, I, that, that's really what's at the heart of this is it's the right time. The university is in a um, incredibly strong position in, in spite of, um, you know, the challenges of the mm-hmm. day. and. And certainly this pandemic has disrupted a lot of things. Uh, but the other side is, is I think Georgia State is, um, is an institution not only with an upward trajectory, but it also uh, has much further to go. There's so much more that can be done. And, and, I, and I hope and believe my successor will, uh, working with the outstanding faculty and staff we have and the wonderful students at Georgia State, um, continue to build on you know, what, what I'm able to have built have built here. You know, I, I built on Carl Patton's legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl had done a tremendous amount to change what I'll call the physical presence of the campus downtown. And, um, you know, so my contributions and now it's time to pass it on to um, the next leader, pass the baton, so to speak. At any point, did you wrestle with yourself and say, well, maybe I'll give it one more year to see how I can help lead the institution coming after a pandemic? Did you have any of those internal back and forths? Uh, not really. I, I think, you know, I am optimistic that as far as the pandemic goes, that we'll, um, I, I can't say that we'll be rid of it because the nature of this virus, it's, it's probably going to be around um, mm-hmm. possibly forever. Uh, the other side of it is uh, by next summer, we'll, we'll have probably multiple vaccines um, and we'll be well on our way to knowing how to uh, live and function at a much higher level than we even are today. Um, with this virus, and, and there will be future viruses. You know that that's you know part of my background is public health, mm-hmm. and um, you know there there always have been, there always will be viruses, and in a world where there uh, global transportation, global travel, um, and industrialization are are, are uh, 
and, and population growth is what it is, uh, the spread of viruses is not going to diminish. It's going to increase as, as we've seen with them, uh, including going back to 2003 with uh, the original SARS, so to speak, and then MERS, you know, these coronaviruses mm-hmm. as well as influenza and other viruses. So th- to go back to your point is, um, you know, there, there's never a perfect time. There's never a time when you can say, okay, today, this is exactly it. But as I um, looked at my, my responsibility, my commitment to this university that I so dearly love is that next time, uh, not next year, excuse me, next year, uh, the world should be in a place, and I certainly have every expectation to be in a place that a, a, um, there will be a higher degree of uh, normalcy. It won't be what it was in 2019, but it's also not going to be what it is today. You mentioned the Board of Regents. What have been the benefits and challenges of leading an institution of higher education within a state system like the University System of Georgia? Let's start with the benefits. Well, I think the, the benefits are that you, you have the benefit of having a system where you actually have colleagues that you can work fairly closely with. And so uh, particularly during this pandemic period, uh, my, my colleagues at Georgia Tech, at UGA, at Kennesaw, at Augusta, um, are people that I've, I speak to on a regular basis. And there's a lot more sharing than takes place, I would say, in states that are um, a little more disjointed or have separate boards. So I, I think that's been um, one. Another part, I would say, which is um, is very unique to Georgia and something I, I, that some people, I think, take for granted is the um, state commitment to uh, what I'll call the physical infrastructure. The state mm-hmm. of Georgia routinely invests um, in its campuses and its institutions, uh, which is not true in, in many of the states I've been in. And so there is this ability to speak as one entity um, and to have a relationship with the state government that has allowed us to build buildings and to, you know, as the um, as the campuses have grown the ability to do that. Um, it also, there's, there's some opportunities for some economies of scale for some of the smaller institutions, perhaps less important to Georgia State or Georgia Tech or UGA or Kennesaw, mm-hmm. uh, but some of the smaller institutions in the state um, literally don't have the human capital resources or the financial capital uh, to be able to do some of the things that we're able to do as a system in terms of technology and mm-hmm. software upgrades and systems. Uh, they just w- they would be completely handicapped. And so to be able to operate at a system level is a tremendous benefit, uh, particularly for some of the more regional institutions in the state. What about the challenges? Because you've had to, from writing an opinion piece to publicly speaking out against some policies within the system over the years. I strongly remember the guns on campus being one of them. What have been the challenges about being within the well, system? I, I, don't think, I, I don't think being in a system that that's those challenges, those challenges are really political. They're mm-hmm. not, they're not system challenges. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had, if I was a separate freestanding or if Georgia state were a separate freestanding institution and I reported to a board that was only Georgia state, um, those issues would still be there. They, they would not be different. You know, I think the um, trick is within your within a system, you need to uh, coordinate messages. Um, you know, there's uh, you don't get off the reservation, so to speak, uh, and that the, the board um, is for 26 institutions, not for one. But even if it's for one institution, the challenges and the issues are still the same. I want to back up, President Becker, and allow you to take that a little further when you said you don't get off the reservation. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, so I, you know, I, I have a very clear way of thinking about the role and responsibility as president of a public university. Um, first off, I am, I am a registered independent. I, don't, I am not a um, 
my role is not to be a public spokesperson for political issues. Mm -hmm. uh, my responsibility first and foremost every day is to Georgia State University to make sure that the students um, get the best possible education we can deliver and that the faculty and, and the staff are supported um, in the work that we do both in education and research. That's my responsibility is, mm -hmm. is to take care of that institution. Um, I, there are um, times and there are individuals who think the job of the president is to express their personal views on a variety of um, issues. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my view is if it's a Georgia State issue, um, it's, that's my job. But if it's not a Georgia State issue, um, I should keep my personal opinions to myself. That's, uh, that's not the president's role. And sometimes people get confused about that. Were there any system challenges then that you felt were an issue? during your time as president? Um, I, I would say that there's always challenges. There's every president is challenged. And if you look at the average tenure of a university or a college president, um, you know, these are hard jobs and there are always gonna be challenges, but um, I don't think there, have been, there haven't been any challenges that we haven't been able to work our way through. You mentioned the strategic plan, but were there any initiatives that you set for the institution that either won't be completed or may even dissolve with your leaving? Uh, I don't see anything major that I'm concerned about dissolving. Um, I think, you know, the institution, when we started our strategic planning process in 2010, um, you know, I was very clear from the beginning that if, if you want to do something really substantive, you have to pick a few things and focus on those. So pick the things that are most important, the things that matter the most. And um, as you well know, because we've talked about it over the years, our student success work was right up front and center. Um, but our research and our scholarship and, and other things are front and center. Um, I, I think there's still more work to do, uh, particularly around how Georgia State is a major um, resource for Atlanta and for Georgia. You know, our, we had a urban initiative in the strategic plan. Um, I think that uh, you will see some, you know, I, I anticipate that the faculty, uh, the staff, you know, the, the uh, next administration will as they reflect on where we've come, look at, you know, how do you continue to build on that? Because there's still so much more to do there. Uh, there's still more to do in the research space, an incredible amount, man. I'm, I'm so proud of our faculty and um, how far we've come as an institution, but uh, we're still, again, there, there, we're nowhere near our limit in, in terms of capabilities and the talent that we have in this institution and the talent we can recruit to this institution. Um, student success, you know, we've, we've, we've come a long way. We, we're certainly um, incredibly proud of our work in eliminating disparities, um, certainly have led the country and really the world in that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I envision a day when basically, if we make the decision to admit you as a student, you, you should expect that you are going to graduate, not that you have, let's say an 80% chance or whatever that number mm -hmm. is. And so there's, uh, there's so, so much more to do and, and I'm excited for um, the institution and its future. And, you know, I'm particularly pleased to be able to go out with the institution incredibly healthy and enjoying a lot of positive momentum, even in the period of a pandemic, uh, because what you want is for the institution, you know, when you take on new leadership, not for them to come in and clean up messes or to recover from, you know, from bad times, but to basically uh, take what, what is there and build on it for better times still. When we spoke, I think just less than two months ago, speaking of recruiting talent, and we talked about the calls for the implementation of new practices and policies to bring about greater diversity and inclusion, specifically a more diverse faculty. What is your hope that that will be embraced by the incoming president? 
Oh, I, I don't think that's in doubt at all. I, you know, that, that work um, is underway and it will continue. I, I have, uh, I don't know any president sitting right now and I can't anticipate anybody that will become a president um, who would not embrace and um, take that work further. Um, you know, I can actually tell you that um, one of the standard questions in interviews for presidents, um, and it has been for a long time, is what is your commitment to diversity? So, you know, that question is going to be asked of the candidates um, with a high, I can say that with a high degree of certainty. Um, I won't be in the room. I won't have the opportunity to ask it because that's not my role. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the responsibility of the board and the search committee they will appoint. Uh, but uh, the, you're not going to attract anybody to a presidency and certainly to the president of Georgia, presidency of Georgia State University that's not committed to that work. I just can't believe that would happen. Well, I mean, you think about the minority, and that's the best way to assess this when you think about the minority makeup of university and college presidents in this nation it's still right under maybe 15 percent your thoughts on if they could make sure that and I know folks may have an issue with this but to ensure that there will be a diverse group of candidates in that pool women people of color black folks I certainly expect there will be. And that's, I think, again, let's, let's just look at Georgia State and what Georgia State's national profile is. I think um, it's going to attract, you know, th this search will attract a, an extremely strong applicant pool. And when I say strong, I don't only mean in experience, but I also mean in diversity mm -hmm. um, and diversity of experience and diversity of um, by race, ethnic, uh, gender, um, ethnicity, um, you know, types of institutions. There's I, you know, my belief is that this is one of the best jobs in the country and that uh, the person who comes here has the opportunity to do amazing things. Um, you know, every bit is, um, is impactful, if not more impactful than we've done already. And um, I think that's going to be exciting to a broad range of candidates. Um, and I, I, I would be disappointed and actually shocked if, if the um, applicant pool is not diverse. We've talked about the growth of Georgia State. Let's talk about the growth of Dr. Mark Becker. When you think about this time, were there any discoveries about yourself or your leadership style? Um, I don't know about discoveries, but you, you do grow. Meaning, you know, when I um, came into the role, I'd never been a president before. Uh, I'd certainly spent a lot of time around presidents and saw what presidents um, do, so to speak, and the, and the types of um, challenges, as well as the um, sorts of fun things that presidents do. And, um, you know, so I, I would say, you know, I've grown as a person, grown through experience, um, grown, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes, and you build on your strengths. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's, that's important. I think the um, probably the most important thing that I've learned is I, you know, in these last few days, I've been reflecting on this as colleagues have reached out to me is, you know, this, if, if we've had any success under my tenure, what, what, you know, there's never one thing. And you, you and I've talked about a variety of issues over the years mm -hmm. where there's never one thing. But I, I think what's been really important in, for me uh, to be able to do what, we've, what I've done and what we've done is recruit outstanding people and then have the good sense to listen to them. You know, and so I think that um, to be a successful university president um, in this day and time and probably at all times is you, you need to surround yourself with really good people. I mean, people um, who not only have knowledge of, uh, the, that you need, but also have the character of this, share your commitment, share the values of the institution. 
Um, you know, and, and you got to get the match between the values of the president and the values of those people with the institution, because uh, you know, there's institutions have their own sort of heart and soul, if you will. And Georgia State certainly is a very special place in that way. Uh, but then it's not only good to recruit them, but you got to listen to them. You have, you have to, you know, have the good sense to listen. And you, and you will find times when you've got really good people um, who don't all agree. And so, you know, that's one of the other things you learn as a president is. Uh, there's tough decisions that have to be made. These are very public roles. Uh, but when you make those decisions, you know, you, ha you have to make them for the right reasons. You have to be able to stand behind them. Uh, but you have to have listened to all the different, you know, perspectives that were, were presented. And um, so I think I've, um, you know, I've grown and I've learned um, through these years how to do that, you know, how to hire good people and how to listen to them. New chapters are great. That's what I always say. What's next in the Mark Becker Book of Life? Uh, well, it's um, Mark's staying in Georgia uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, working on various ideas. I, I've got ideas, but there is no, I don't have a script for the next chapter. Um, I have a rough outline. Um, and for me, that is very exciting. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, if you look back at my tenure as president, I think you would see that I'm, I'm very comfortable with change. Uh, I realized early in my career that if you really want to do something impactful, you know, so not just be a caretaker or just make sure the trains run on time, but actually uh, lead real and substantive change. Um, you have to be comfortable getting outside your comfort zone, you know, and, and this job you know, forces you to do that. And so as I go to the next chapter, I will once again step out my outside my comfort zone by I can't tell you today, you know, and that was it's been a surprise to many people. I'm not leaving to take another job, per se. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I'm not a candidate for any jobs. I'm not pursuing any job. Uh, I, I, as I said in the announcement, is going to take my educational leave, use that time. Uh, but, you know, but Mark Becker is not going to disappear from the world. Um, he's not going to um, go off and sit in a rocking chair and think about the good old days. Um, there's, 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 I still have some energy left in me. I still have some ideas. I still have some um, ways that I think I can add value to this world and um, help make the world a better place. And I will do that, but I can't tell you exactly how today. So you'll be in Atlanta still or? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will um, be in Atlanta and the, you know, spend some, I'll probably spend more time in the North Georgia mountains as well. Um, one of my, um, one of the ways that I keep myself sane is I like to ride my bicycle as um, hard and fast as I can. And I, I prefer riding up mountains. So I'll spend a fair amount of time up in the North Georgia mountains going up and down those on my bicycle as well as doing some hiking. But, uh, but I'll still be in the Atlanta area and, um, you know, I'll, I'll find ways to, um, as I said, add value. And I remember a few years ago, didn't you and a team of folks from Georgia State, didn't y'all climb like Mount Rainier or something like that? Yeah, so um, I uh, have led two Georgia State uh, mountain climbing trips. One is we took a group of students to climb Mount Baker in the North Cascades in Washington. And then um, based on the uh, popularity of that um, and what I'll call it, um, demand or requests from um, faculty and staff, led a faculty, staff and alumni group to go out and climb Mount Rainier. And I, I've climbed, uh, I've done some high altitude climbing um, in uh, Peru, as well as Mount Kilimanjaro, as well as um, I've climbed in Alaska. And so, you know, it's, um, it's more of a young man's game when you get up to the really high altitude stuff. But um, there, there may be a mountain left. I haven't, I haven't decided that yet. And um, <laughs> also uh, rather enjoy climbing frozen waterfalls, uh, um, also known as ice climbing. And yeah. also thinking about doing a little bit more of that as well. Wow. Well, make sure you have a GoPro 
<laughs> somewhere on you so we can see this. Georgia State University President Dr. Mark Becker leaving at the end of this academic school year. President Becker, thank you for always being so accessible. Best of luck to you. Rose, it's, it's always a pleasure. It's um, just so pleased to be able to spend this time with you and appreciate all that you do. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR I'm Rose Scott. Now, earlier in the program, we talked about an ordinance that was dealing with street racing. Now we're going to talk about another ordinance, potentially, that deals with home rental shares. You've heard of Airbnb and, of course, HomeAway. And you may be familiar with a few of these short-term rental companies that in recent years have experienced a surge in sales around the world. That includes right here in Atlanta. According to AirDNA, there were 8,650 of these properties in the Atlanta area as of March 2019. Wow. And that is more than double than the previous year. However, now, not everyone is happy with the expansion of this new industry, so to speak. Early this week on the program, I had a conversation with Atlanta City Councilmember Howard Shook, and he talked about some legislation that he proposed, which basically would aim to ban short-term rentals in single-family Atlanta neighborhoods. Take a listen. The city of Atlanta has yet to promulgate any real you know, protections or policies that will protect the public's health, safety, and welfare in cases where you have beleaguered neighbors living next to chronically unruly short-term rentals. And now we'll get a different perspective from a local Airbnb host. So now I'm joined by Johanna Miller, who's a local host with Airbnb. Johanna, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rose. Your property, you don't have to tell us the exact address, but what part of town is your Airbnb host property located? It is located in the historical Collier Heights area, kind of based on the west side of Atlanta. Have you ever had any complaints about folks that were, you know, leasing the property? Did you get folks saying, hey, you know, your those guests were a little bit unruly? You know, surprisingly, none reported to the authorities, but we have really good relationships with our neighbors. And um, we've gotten a few strong suggestions from them, but um, not really complaints to where they want to just take action. What were those suggestions, those strong suggestions you received? (laughs) One of them was we had a large uh, gathering, kind of like a family reunion, and um, some of the guests were kind of blocking their driveway. Mm -hmm. And... um, they understood that we did do Airbnb and they just suggested that, hey, you know, could you have your guests move their cars? And immediately um, we were able to tell them because one, we live on a premises, which is kind of a unique situation. Um, and, you know, we just had already established a rapport with the guests. 
And if I know that area correctly, there aren't a lot of subdivisions in Collier Heights because this is a very historic neighborhood. So there is no homeowners association that is prohibiting Airbnbs anyway, correct? Yes, that's correct. There are no subdivisions. Collier Heights has a, a very just a strong sense of community, again, because of the history. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone, there's just like an unspoken language of you take care of your own hmm. kind of thing. How long have you all been an Airbnb host? We started in 2000, I believe 2019. It was a year of the Super Bowl because that was the goal of us um, starting the Airbnb to see if we could cash in on that. So I believe that was, was that, was that 2018, 2017, 2017, I think it was 2018. Okay. Yeah. Cause we actually moved to Atlanta in 2017. Did you make a lot, that. did you make a lot of money? You know, it was kind of a flop. <laughs> what? You were too far from the action. <laughs> yes. And you know what? It wasn't hyped up like it should have been. And we just, we covered the cost of starting the Airbnb, furnishing it and mm -hmm. things of that nature. Well, how's experience been as a host and also in terms of the profitability of it? Uh, how's it been for you and your family to have this, I won't call it a side gig, but I mean, this, it adds to your income. Oh my goodness, it has become such a viable source of income for us. Um, it literally has um, revolutionized just our way of life. Um, it, it's just been an upward trend. Um, we definitely depend on it for our main income uh, so that we're able to, not to sound too <laughs> cheesy, but to follow our dreams. Um, my husband runs a nonprofit here in Atlanta, and it's in its budding stages. Uh, and so, you know how it is with a nonprofit. You don't have a lot of money starting mm -hmm. out. And I'm a teacher. I'm a school teacher. Um, so Airbnb has been our main source of income, has definitely fed a lot of bellies and just provided in, su in very su uh, surprising situations, like the birth of our daughter, surprise Joy, who came uh, in December of last year. Well, congratulations so on that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I get kind of emotional because it just really um, just allowed just awesome flexibility for us as a family. So now during this pandemic, there was, I guess, a period of time where y'all didn't have any guests. Are y'all able to rebound now? Are you having folks book your Airbnb? We have been able to rebound. Uh, let me tell you, it was definitely a scary time. I mean, it started in March. And then from March all the way to the end of May, everybody canceled. Um, and we were a pretty popular house, um, six miles from the city, very cozy. So it was very attractive to guests. But yeah, once the pandemic happened, everyone canceled. Uh, we were kind of like, what are we going to do? Um, thank God we had a little bit of savings. And Airbnb was able to offer their super host grant program. Um, that was available to basically us, our criteria. We lived, we depended on it as a viable source of income. Um, and we'd been a tenured super host for a while. So we qualified for that and um, Airbnb was able to kind of get us through that hump, the actual um, administrations. And so we're... Now let me ask you this. Are many of the folks who rent your property or is, is it for one event or are they staying for, you know, a few days? Mainly 
it's a few days. Um, we've had a few uh, gatherings from people who want to meet their family in the city, um, and they just need a central meeting spot um, or intimate setting. Um, but mainly it's, it's just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So when you heard that Atlanta City Council Member Howard Shook was proposing this legislation that would ban these short-term rentals in most residential neighborhoods. The reason was because there were too many complaints about the noise and, and disrupting the neighborhood. What'd you make of that? Well, at first I was definitely frightened. I was, I was very scared because again, this is our main source of income. Um, in a way it, it, it allows and funds our, our dreams. Um, my husband has a nonprofit and it, it, it's in its budding stages. So uh, we're not making a lot of money or um, still kind of fundraising. And so, you know, hosting has been our, our main source of income. So just thinking that this could possibly be shut off makes me really scared and um, a little bit sad. Um, but at the same time, I'm also surprised because um, I'm just surprised at the extreme course of action, mm-hmm. um, especially for many of us hosts who are responsible. And we, we use our best practices here to um, to provide a hospitable place for our guests while keeping everyone safe. Um, but then towards the end, because um, I also listened to the interview mm-hmm. of um, Councilman Towership, um, I was feeling a little hopeful that there was some space for compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's how I feel. In other words, you don't want to punish the entire host for what they would call a few bad actors is what you're saying. Exactly. I, it's kind of like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Like they, I think there are a lot more responsible hosts who um, just try their best to, I mean, protect their investment um, as compared to people who just don't care or just want to make a quick buck. And how do you vet the guests? What's your process? Uh, my process for, in a sense, kind of pre-screening guests is one, communicating way ahead of time, um, just kind of seeing what their intentions are for their visit, you know, while remaining friendly, you know, um, but, and, and then as they communicate with us, then I'm able to determine if this is a good fit or not. Um, and then from there, from their responses, we will decide if, um, it's called a pre-approval. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll decide if it's, we'll approve them for the reservation, um, but mainly communicating. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a relationship you're, you're having with people. One, strangers that are coming to your home, mm-hmm. so you want to get to know them. So let me ask you this. You said you hope there's a compromise in this. What are your other fellow Airbnb hosts saying? I imagine there's a lot of conversation in those chat rooms y'all have. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's definitely starting to rev up all those conversations. Well, for me, uh, I know for sure, like, because we we live on site, one of them is definitely c- creating a system possibly to, one, make our neighbors feel more comfortable with our presence there, mm-hmm. maybe having a neighborhood committee accountability group um, where we're completely transparent and we're open to suggestions from our community about how to run our business um, or just having somehow a local contact um, that 
neighbors can go to and to de-escalate de uh, possible parties or gatherings that can be disruptive just so they don't go straight to law enforcement. Because a lot of these uh, situations could be de-escalated before, you know, they just get out of control. Well, listen, continued best of luck to you and your family. Congratulations on the newest edition. Uh, you were concerned that maybe she wouldn't sleep through this interview, but she did great. <laughs> she did. <laughs> yes. Johanna Miller, thanks so much. for. I appreciate you taking the time and giving your perspective as we continue to talk about what should happen with these short-term rentals like Airbnb. And we want to hear from you out there in the community. What do you think should happen? Should there be an ordinance that bans short-term rentals like Airbnbs in residential neighborhoods? Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. Johanna, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you, Rose. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. In the many remembrances and tributes to honor the late civil rights giant and Congressman John Lewis, a lot of folks shared how Lewis was an inspiration. And that includes my next guest. And in the spirit of John Lewis, she's spearheading a voter registration event. It's a nonpartisan effort, and it's called A Night of Good Trouble. Now, we're all used to seeing Christine Adams on the TV series Black Lightning, which is actually filmed right here in Atlanta. Jeff, I'm an addict. I never truly knew all those years what it was like for you. Being Black Lightning, the weight of the world on your shoulders, knowing you could fix it. I understand that lore. But she's taking some time to join me and talk about how the late Congressman John Lewis was an inspiration for this upcoming event. And Christine Adams, welcome. Thank you so much, Rose. It's such an honor to be here. You know, I'm a huge fan and I'm actually going to get kudos points from my 14-year-old daughter who said, I quote, this is the biggest thing you've ever done. <laughs> and, you know, I've <laughs> I've hugged Batman and James Bond, so I would take that as a compliment, Rose. You're big... TV star, film star, but this is the coolest thing nope, you've done. This is it. Closer look with Rose Scott. She she actually she actually dropped her her cutlery mid dinner and uh, and gave me two high fives. So <laughs> you know what? I I didn't think I was big with fourteen year olds, but I'll take oh. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Let's begin yeah. there. Well, first, let's get a little update. Obviously, we were going to talk about the late Congressman John Lewis, but for the fans of Black yeah. Lightning, they want to know. Y'all going to be coming yes. back right now. You're, are you filming? Yeah. We're in this pandemic, so folks want to know. Yeah, well, I'm happy to report that we are going back to work. Um, within the next month or so is what I've been told. Um, I know, obviously, all the protocols will be changing and they have to put all that into place. And it's going to take a little while. But, mm -hmm. you know, we've got some productions down here already up and running. So I'm confident um, that, you know, we'll be back on the air. I'm hearing January 2021. So not too much longer to wait, you guys. Wow. <laughs> and a big fan of Black Lightning. Uh, Christine, let's talk yeah. about this night of good trouble. But let's begin with your thoughts and reflections on Congressman John Lewis um, and what he meant to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Rose, I don't have to tell anybody in Atlanta about the significance of John Lewis. You know, he was my congressman here in the this district and also a big fan of Black Lightning, came to the set several times. 
And in his passing, it's really allowed us to focus on what his his mission and his mandate was. And as you know, this is a man that got up every single day and and walked the walk and and really believed in us, uh, believed in humanity, believed in our potential. And, uh, you know, honestly, I just I don't want to let him down. (laughs) So so that's why uh, we put together this this event to, to really honor his legacy and to amplify his his message and just remind people what we need to do. You told me in a previous conversation you were so excited because you were just you are now also a U.S. citizen. That's correct, Rose. And I just became an American citizen in November last year. Wow. What was that moment yeah. like for you? You know, it was... Um, emotional I mean it really is emotional I've been in America for 17 years I lived on the west coast for 14 years moved to Atlanta three years ago um I I really do love Atlanta I think it's such a special place um I think it's so unique in the sort of landscape of America I think it's so rich in history culture arts I'm not surprised that the entire filming community is is coming here at all um, so I just felt as a, as a new resident and, you know, my kids were born in this country. I felt like it was important for me to become a citizen and participate in the, in the process of, you know, voting and, and, and democracy. So I, that was kind of what drove that, but it was very emotional when you're in a room with people from 150 different countries, mm. um, and they are all there because they believe in something and they believe in the possibility that is so emotional and so powerful. And, you know, I think with everything that's going on, just to kind of bring it back to John Lewis again, I, you know, I do sort of believe in the potential and the power of us as individual people and, and what we can do. And so I felt like, you know, my one vote was just as important as, as anyone else's. So. Is that also the, at the core of why you wanted to be involved in getting people registered to vote? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's been a difficult year for so many reasons, for, for so many people, you know, every, everyone's struggling. And I think I certainly have felt like it's been hard to focus on, mm. on what's important. And I think, again, with the passing of, of um, John Lewis, it, it really sort of gave me a sharp focus on, on what, what was important and what was important to him. And I think with all the chatter and all the noise and everything that's coming at us, I just wanted to kind of do something that was, you know, empowering, but also very singular and and really just encourage people to use their voice and use their power. You know, it's the one thing we can do as citizens right now. So it just felt like it was an important thing to be part of. Could you ever have imagined that you would be part of a civic engagement <laughs> movement? Um, no, actually, n- not at all. This this is not not how I sort of imagined my time in Atlanta was going to go. But obviously, twenty twenty, whole new world. But I think just when I look at the life and the legacy of John Lewis, this was a man who got up every single day for over sixty years and. Mm-hmm and fought for what he believed in. You know, he said, if you see something wrong, do something. And I feel so compelled by that message. I'm so in awe and admiration of 
of you know anybody that goes out there and fights the good fight but 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 John Lewis was extraordinary because I, I'm not sure how you do get up every day and keep going but he did so mm. I feel like the least we could do is just keep on walking you know that that's really all he wanted us to do you know you walk and everyone will walk with you so this is a people-powered revolution and um if people want to join us then great if they want to tell their friends then great I just want people to know that you know we all have the power to do something let's talk about a night of good trouble which yeah not that it this is what draws me in but when I saw dinner and a movie (laughs) (laughs) and you know obviously and also because you know we are in this pandemic so Mm. how will you all be able to, to pull this off you know, it's um, it, it, there's definitely some logistics involved. Um, we are collaborating or co-hosting with the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, Chris Escobar, who I'm sure you've spoken to many times, um, is is organising the film festival this year, and he's been doing a lot of drive-in movies over the summer over at my dad's garage and over at the plaza and. Mm-hmm. We've got this incredible location over at the Pullman Yard in Kirkwood, which was a former rail yard owned by the Chicago Pullman Company, Mm -hmm. um, responsible for really unionization of lots of African-American workers. So it's this incredible venue. It's vast. It's 27 acres Mm -hmm. to talk about social distancing. So we have the space and the capacity to bring in over the course of the evenings safely 100 cars. And there'll be there'll be two screenings, one at 7.15, one at 9.15. Um, and we will have, you know, restaurant vendors, some of the best restaurateurs in Atlanta. We've got A Arm who have just confirmed. We've got the Octopus Par. We've got the Abbey Singer. Um, they will be there. And we'll also have a poster art show curated by local artist Fabian Williams. So mm-hmm. we're really excited. And because, because of the space, and if anyone's interested, they, they can go online, they can look at the Pullman Yard and what it looks like. We're able to accommodate guests safely. Now, if you're extra paranoid, you can stay in your car all night. <laughs> You'll never have to leave or we'll bring the food to you. It's perfect. Otherwise, you know, there'll be bathrooms, you'll be allowed to use them and go to the art show, but it will be monitored by volunteers, everything will be spaced out, distant. So obviously, as this is sort of somewhat of a of a large event, we have to be extra diligent. But as um, the Atlanta Film Festival, they've created this template, so they know which protocols to have in place. But yeah, whatever happens, if, if you feel at all worried, just stay in your car, turn up the volume, and enjoy the documentary. By the way, good calamari at eight arm. Oh. <laughs> Just want to put that out I there. can't wait to eat it again. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about beyond this event and voter registration. And obviously we know mm. November is a big election year. And you'll be eligible to vote for the first time. I just got my voter registration card. It's on the fridge right now. And, you know, I get, I, you know, I did vote in the June the 9th primaries. And again, I, I, it was such a powerful feeling walking into that polling station mm. and feeling like I was part of something. And I, and I really want to kind of stress that to people that this means something. This, this year, um, you know, 2020, it is the most important election. You know, whatever, whatever your politics, it's so important that we all participate because, you know, I think it will be, um, it will be, yeah, the most important election of our 
of our lives really so there's power in voting and and it does make a difference you know John Lewis believed it I believe it um I know it's easy to be disillusioned and I understand all the reasons why but I I do believe that this is something we can do if we all just turn out so that's really what I'll be doing you know beyond the 26 um I'll be continuing to sort of message like let's get out there let's get out there early let's vote by mail let's just show up um and so that's what i will be doing between now and and november the 4th and and finally this is a good way to end the conversation christine because yeah. so much is made about you know what celebrities or athletes when they get involved in in social justice issues or yeah. you know politics and depending on whom you ask you had a different answer but let's be really clear regardless as you said of your politics Folks like you and athletes and entertainers and celebs, you have influence. And so when you hear folks say, well, they just need to stick to their craft and not get involved. What's your thoughts, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? I mean, he, he, that's, here's my answer to that and my perspective for whatever it's worth. I've always been a person that would rather stand behind what I'm doing. So I moved to Atlanta because this is where I work and this is where my job is. I don't fly in from LA every week and, you know, and say my lines and go back. You know, I'm here, I'm a resident. I've got a Georgia license plate. I've got a Georgia driver's license. I'm committed and I stand with the people of Georgia. The people I work with are Georgians. I care about them. I care about their families. This is my community. So you know, I do understand that criticism and I understand why it might seem a bit annoying when someone from Hollywood gets involved, but I am here. I did become a citizen. I I believe in this stuff. You know, I put Mm. my money where my mouth is. So I hope that's sort of enough validation for people that might be thinking, "Ugh, here comes another actor, you know, grandstanding. But I, I, I hope I'm doing the work. I think I'm doing the work. And, you know, I, I believe in us. And I think Atlanta is, is a phenomenal city and I think it deserves the change that it wants and I, and I just want to be part of it I mean because I am part of it so um it, it's important to me I'm I'm not a visitor I'm I'm a resident so and I'll tell you I I have to echo that Atlanta embraced me when I moved here in 96 so I totally understand that it's called yeah. a night of good trouble we'll have a link yep. to the event on our website Christine Adams from the TV series Black Lightning Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts about the inspiration from John Lewis and much continued success. Thank you so much, Rose. It's been such a pleasure. Will you have me back on again just to talk about other stuff? Absolutely. And Oh, good. Okay. And, you know, I, I think I need to send your daughter a closer look mug or something. Oh, that, that would be like Christmas came early. <laughs> Oh, I really appreciate it, Christine. Best of luck to you. We can't wait for Black Lightning to come back. Thank you so much, Rose. All right. Thank you, Christine. I appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Thank you.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.